This is episode 106 of Relate on how to become an embodied speaker. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew. And in this episode of Relate, we are talking about the voice. Our guest is going to talk to us today about how to use our voice to communicate our message clearly. We have inherited our own communication style, and it's important when we're speaking to keep in mind our embodiment as well. How do we use the mind and body to speak? Our guest also talks to us about how we need to stop thinking in terms of nouns and start thinking in terms of verbs. He also discusses how we need stability and quiet to connect deeply with other people and that this universe is always in motion. And so to relate to other people, we really need to find that stability. We really need to find that embodiment within ourselves to fully connect with other people. We also discuss how the internet in a lot of ways is like an ocean of ideas, and it's really up to us whether we decide to sink in this ocean, swim in this ocean, or float in this ocean. For years, our guest relied on words alone. As a performance artist and spoken word poet, he thought having the right words was enough, but after exploring movement practices and researching the connection between sound and listening, he discovered that to change your life, you have to change your voice. He is the founder of Mind Body Speak, which is his unique approach to communication, going beyond words in conflict resolution to address the real power behind voice, combining body language and tone of voice to create body tone. Our guests trained law enforcement, corporations, college students, and martial arts instructors, and has spoken on numerous TEDx stages. With Mind Body Speak, he offers his voice to help you find the way back to yours. So, without further ado, let me please introduce our guest for today's episode of Relate, Marshall Davis Jones. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today's guest is Marshall Davis Jones. Marshall, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, Patrick. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to have you here because you are doing some incredible work through the organization that you created called Mind Body Speak. And just having studied acting personally and studied, you know, the voice and the body and why that's those are important instruments as an actor. I love the work that you're doing and really applying this knowledge of the voice and why it's so critically important for how we deliver a message and just how we communicate with our fellow human beings. 
that I was really excited to to have you on the show today. Man, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, it's cool because the uh, the spoken word, doing spoken word, it was informed by the acting tradition. You know, the the you know people would ask like, "Are you an actor?" I'm like, "No, no, no, no. I will not. I will not <laughs> do that to them." by claiming it, you know, um, but the, the idea of embodiment, you know, the, the skill and the talent that actors have to become something other than themselves and to show the world itself is, um, you know, it's a gift and it was something I liked and wanted to borrow from in, in the craft myself. And so I respect what you all do as craftsmen and crafts women. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's and I think that what you've borrowed from the craft has been implemented really well, and I'm really excited to dive into it. I'm wondering if you could just start off by sharing with our listeners a little bit about your background and what led you to create Mind Body Speak. So it began with, I mean, it began with... Uh, and this is this has come to me recently. So when I was younger, I believed, you know, I didn't start talking until I was about three, you know, and so there were uh, there were people that thought there was something going on because uh, I wasn't talking yet. Um, but once I started going, apparently I didn't stop much. But the um, I thought that words were the thing most of my life. I spent most of my life thinking that words, that the right words were the key uh, to connecting, to understanding the world and to understanding myself. And once I got to spoken word poetry of slam, you know, I was like, okay, it's about the words. And if I put the words together in the right way, you know, you can make a convincing argument if the words are right. But I learned the long way and the hard way that, you know, the words can be right, but they can also be very wrong. Um, but I had a friend of mine who um, who went to acting school, funny, wow, funny enough. Uh, he went to, I think, Ada. And um, he comes back and he's slamming and he's he's doing his poems and he has this whole, like, you know, the, the stentorian, you know, uh, the dignity in his voice, you know. And... Uh, I said, I don't know why he sounds like that, but I know he won tonight. Like I, it was like the first round and a slam usually lets you know where it's going to go. Sometimes things can change, but he won. And afterwards I said, all right, all right, all right. The whole Shakespeare in your throat thing, like explain. <laughs> and he goes, um, you know, well, I'm in acting school. Um, and, he, and, you know, it was really cool because he used, I mean, he was to, even to get the scholarship for that school, uh, you know, slam poetry is like a it's like a actor's gym, if if you allow it to be. And uh, you know, as but anyway, so he got into the school. He said the very first thing that they train before they teach anything else is voice, because the voice is life. And um it was one of those moments that I didn't recognize would change the trajectory of my life because I thought you know, if somebody would have said, after Carvin's told you this, you're going to create something where you're going to help other people use their voices in a significant way, that, that would have been the last thing 
Because the first thing I wanted to know was, oh, here's this new thing to do that can make me get do better with my poems that can make people like me more, you know, <laughs> or whatever. It yeah, is, yeah. Know? Whatever the thing is. Um, and man, when I tell you, so I bought Edith, Edith Skinner's Speak With Distinction. That was um, the first book I bought. And, uh, you know, so you learn about received English and all that stuff and, you know, rhotics and non-rhotics and all that, you know, and um, I was like, okay, well, this is intense, you know, and it really, it started off very, you know, I was like, hi, my name is Marshall. And it was horrible. It was horrible, <laughs> um, you know, because I was doing a lot of imitation. Um, and uh, so, you know, it started there and then uh, I was incessant. I obsessed. Uh, I wanted to know how the voice was built. And so I was like, I have to go back to the beginning. What happens in the beginning? You know, so, you know, I started learning about breastfeeding and how breastfeeding versus bottle feeding affects the jaw development and how that can also affect um, speech pathologists um, recognize this now that it actually creates delays if a child is bottle fed because the musculature to speak is strengthened by breastfeeding um so stuff like that and so that let um christian christian linklater's book freeing the natural voice was the next significant book that i read and she says something about the psyche and how you know when we were young our our demands of the world were a full body experience it was the whole thing you know so it's like i want a chocolate chip cookie you know wah, wah, wah. but once you um you become um you know, uh, you get words. Once you get the words, and then you, then your parents are like, "Well, how do you ask?" And you're like, "Please, pretty please, can I have a chocolate chip cookie?" And that removal of the whole body of your entire visceral connection um, leads some people. They lead their whole lives that way, and then they don't recognize it. And so, you know, uh, that. And then, um, you know, again, obsessing, trying to find out whose voices that I like and, you know, trying to figure out what they did. And it was very, um, it was very like centered on like, okay, I got to work, my, make my throat do different stuff. And, um, you know, uh, I was invited to a school where they had a high suicide rate and the, the, like, I mean, high, it, it, it wasn't a lot of kids, but one is too much. Right. And so, the um i go and they want me to do like poetry therapy because you know poetry the beautiful thing about slam is that it does give you an opportunity to recontextualize your pain which i think all art does it's like um you can take it and make it beautiful um versus letting it torment you you know and so it was like well sure i will come to the school and see if i can suss out you know what's going on i go to the school i come home and I get an email that a student had just jumped in front of the train, which was the customary way of doing it, the um, the night before. And I was scheduled to come back on Monday to do workshops. I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do now with this? And I found um, I found that I needed to figure out how to listen, which was which was you know interesting because I wasn't um, you would think. You know, for all the voice work that I was doing, you know, but when you look at voice work, 
listening part isn't really something that comes to your desk. You know, you're, 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 unless you're harmonizing, right? Like if you're the melody, if you're the lead, it's just like, well, you have to say it like this and put this in your voice and do all of that. But listening, um, it was like, huh? So I typed in the ear and the voice. I found a book with that exact title that was just translated into English and happened to be available on Google, um, Google play. And I downloaded this book and I'm on the plane for those two hours trying to read this as fast as I can and being completely fascinated by um, what Dr. Tomatis was talking about, about the power of the ear and how it really controls the rest of the body and all of these other amazing things. And um, that was a pivotal moment in what would become the communication part about this. When I started, I wanted to just talk better. I didn't care about listening better. I cared about getting my message across better. And listening, and I learned this through Slam the hard way, you know, um, you have to know your audience. You have to know an audience. When you think of audio and audience, I mean, that the term is in there. Um, <laughs> funny story. Uh, I had an anti-college poem because I didn't believe, I had a stark belief about how you don't need a college education to make it in the world. And I had my, I had my rant written and the first slam I ever did uh, happened to be in, um, at the New York Poets Cafe, I was asked to do it on a whim. Someone said, hey, you're, you look like a poet. Do you want a poet tonight? And I said, <laughs> well, don't mind if I do. And, uh, you know, I had my fedora, whatever I had, whatever hat I had on that said, you look like you say things that are deep. And so uh, I, I get on stage and, I'm, and, and they announce who the, the, the people are that have scorecards. It just happened to be like an open house for New York City College United, apparently, because oh, no. Columbia was there. <laughs> yep, Columbia, Hunter, Queens College, um, NYU, and then another like random group. And I was like, now is my moment. Now is my moment to tell them all that they are wasting their time and their money. And I got probably the lowest scores in slam history to date <laughs> um, after that poem. Right. Um, so knowing your audience is important, but that requires listening. Had I listened, I would have, and had I understood what listening was about and what it was for, I would have recognized that that's probably not the best way to go about saying what I had to say. And um, regardless of what I believed, you know, but that's what you learn with time. And so, you know, back fast forward to this school and, you know, learning that and I, I recognized that I taught workshops and when I would teach workshops, I would teach poetry and anything that I learn, I want to reverse engineer it because I don't really consider myself an artist in the art, the way that artists consider themselves to be artists. I feel that there's a certain um, spontaneity that that artists have. I don't think like that. I think very... Um, mechanical. So, um, you know, even with writing and with creating, it's like, okay, there's a way to reverse engineer this process so that people who feel like they can't do it can do it. I always, I like that. I like that feeling. Um, and so, uh, I would start to do workshops 
with poetry and then eventually as the voice stuff began to be more prevalent and I felt I had a, a much more control over it, I started to want to teach other people. It's like, okay, cool, you have this great poem, but let's work on this voice and this delivery and how it sounds coming out of your mouth because that changes a lot of things. And then it was like about helping other people to be heard. Um, but then, and then it's, as it evolved, as it evolved, you know, when I first, you know, it used to be called the voice key. That's what I called it originally. So, you know, that name, it's not, it's dead now. But, you know, again, it was just so centered on, you know, being heard, you know, the voice key. Um, but Mind, Body, Speak came. And then, um, you know, my my lady second that emotion. She said, Mind, Body, Speak. Yeah, that sounds nice. That sounds better. And, um to speak with someone or to speak to someone is different because when you, when you talk to them, to them, because even when you speak, because you can't even, usually when we think about speaking, we usually think about speaking with versus speaking to, um, we talk to people, um, or we talk at them, but speak for some reason, just sonically, and there's a whole thing about that too, just the way words sound can change. Um, and the certain sounds actually have, they, um, it's called, um, I think it's called sonic symbolism. And uh, so certain vowel sounds and consonant sounds are what they are. And we attribute them to certain words because of how they sound. Like big sounds big, small sounds small. And that's a whole other thing, but speak versus talk. Right. Um, but the whole mind body connection, you know, I didn't even recognize that what, what was happening at the time. But what I knew was I wanted to test my body against challenges. I wanted to test my body against what, um, what I feel in stressful moments. And can I still communicate effectively? So I would do stuff like go to bars and wait for fights to break out and then break them up. Um, you know, go to, you know, doing like like the tough mutters or, you know, those kind of like races and things like that. Um, because and you know, in, in the martial arts. Because I, I, I recognize that it's not just about like, you know, the happy exchange. But the body that the exchange is being had with is important too. That confidence and calm isn't just cognitive. It's not just an abstract idea. It is a physicality. And so now uh, modern science backs me up a lot um, at this point. Um, and and now we're here now, now, you know, and it's an evolving thing. You know, it's a dull way. I'm always learning something new because uh, this body is complicated. It's simple, but it's very, com you know, it's complex in it's in its possibilities. And so that's the, it started with just the words and seeming like it was all about the words and then recognizing that it's really about what, um, what I call body tone and body tone is um, the combination of body language and tone because those two things actually contribute to each other and teaching people how to manage that, um, not just for others, but also for themselves in a more self, selfish way, but selfless, because we have to put on our own, you know, our own safety mask first before we can help someone else. 
uh, you know, that's what they, at least that's what they say of American Airlines. Remember them? Remember planes? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, <laughs> those sound familiar. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I yeah, you know, like your your journey is is really incredible. Just in the, the evolution of how you've come to the work that you're doing, and I particularly, I know you talk a lot about space as well. To kind of go back what you were saying about listening and how listening is such a key. But not only that, but then also leaving space for how you're talking. I know. For myself personally, I feel like overall, I'm a pretty decent listener, but sometimes depending on who I'm talking to or the situation, sometimes I feel like I need to talk really fast because I don't want to waste the person's time. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's so much value in, in what you talk about and what you teach about leaving space, not only for listening, but then also when you're talking as well. I think it has a really powerful effect. Mm, mm, absolutely. The um, the because there's a something there's something in the voice that um that says, oh, there's room, you know, and I <laughs> it actually wow that's crazy, um, you know when someone doesn't want to hear you, they put their fingers in their ears. <laughs> and they're like la 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 like you know they make noise and they make sounds. And um, some people talk like that, where it's like, you can just tell that they just want to hear themselves. Right, right. <laughs> um, and it's not a judgment. Because one of the things that, you know, I like to to get to with people is whatever you, whatever your communication style is right now, you've inherited it. You've inherited, it is your inheritance you inherited it from your environment and your upbringing the end and so that that no matter what anybody says or does whatever whatever activity anybody partakes in is an inherited one and so you know the idea that you know when we a lot of times we get so hard on ourselves but that's inherited too um being called to a higher standard is one thing. Being called to being a, a better version of ourselves and excellence is one thing. Um, beating ourselves up, though, uh, it actually just deeper encodes the failure because that's a practice. We have to practice it. Like we, and then we get really good at it. I mean, you beat the shit out of yourself. You're like, man, you know what? 12 rounds with me, uh, with me versus me, you know? And then it's like, which one wins, you know, it's like a double knockout every time. Um, and so I understand, you know, that feeling and, and that it, it takes a little while to, to, it takes a little while to, um, you know, come away from that. It takes a little while to come away from that because the, the, the muscle memory of, you know, the alternative is what you're dealing with. You're dealing with the muscle memory of, your experiences, what you've practiced, and you have to undo that, you know? Um, and so, you know, if you feel like, you know, I'm not, I haven't been heard, there's a good reason probably somewhere along the way, if that's like your feeling or you feel like you got to rush because you feel like you're a time waster, like somewhere in there, you learned and encoded that you waste time. And that like let like recognizing that and like wait a minute how the how did 
how did I come to think this? And then being able to, to, to respond to that. And that's where like a lot of the, um, what I would call, uh, I guess, you know, just the freedom because we don't, we don't benefit from the self-flagellation. Um, and, and, uh, and what's, what's cool about it is that, you know, the, the process requires a bit of reappraisal and that's where we usually start. We start with reappraising, um, which is just a fancy way of saying like reassessing a situation. And um, you have to, you have no choice because your body, your body only responds. If it's threatened, it's going to respond to threat. That's it. Because, you know, if it feels safe, it's going to feel safe. And um, that all of that comes out when we communicate and, and when we speak to others, especially and also when we speak to ourselves. Yeah, it's so fascinating. So much of it is really this uh, heightened awareness of ourselves. And then from that awareness, really just putting things into practice and, and using repetition to develop stronger habits. I, I think especially when it comes to our voice and really how we're exercising the way in which we're speaking. Yeah, I'm wondering, you, you were talking a bit about body tone and I, I love how it's this concept of really combining body language and the, the tone of your voice. Mm. How do you believe that that we can activate our minds and bodies to improve our overall vocal technique? How can we tap into these other parts within us to improve how we're speaking? Well, one of the, one of the things that becomes really important in, in recognizing that the body and the mind, whatever that means, right? Like mind is still, still seem to be very abstract because I don't think that mind is the brain. You know, I don't, the when we say, "Oh, you know, it's on your mind," there's the jury is out about that. About what exactly does that mean? But the, the recognizing that it's all connected—that what you're thinking and what you're feeling are—they're the same. Like, so they've done studies where they'll give people a cup, or studies have been done where you know they'll give people a, give someone a warm cup, and then ask them how they felt about someone they just met. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, that person was warm. What? Or, or versus they'll give them a cold cup and they'll be like, yeah, that person seemed distant. And you're like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You're holding a warm cup. And since you're holding the warm cup, you're rating someone else as warm. And if you're holding a cold cup, you're the one holding a cold cup, but then you rate the other person as cold and distant. It's interesting because here is a sense of like we we feel about others relative to how we feel about ourselves i'm cold so you're cold um in fact um the feeling of loneliness has been attributed to like a drop in perceived temperature as well like it just literally feels colder the world feels colder um and so, um, to, so, so funny, funny thing, uh, Wim Hof, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, Wim Hof, yes. he's a popular, yeah, the ice man, right? Um, I was living, I was living on a tropical island in 2016 and then I moved to, uh, New York or rather had an, uh, yeah, I moved to New York and I left my jacket that I had just purchased and I was looking very forward to having a great winter with that jacket. 
because I was going to be the coolest man in Brooklyn. <laughs> and I left that jacket and I had just remembered that I had read up about, you know, Wim Hof and the cold training. I said, all right, well, I guess this is my opportunity. And so I went through the entire winter of 2016 without a coat. Um, and I started doing the cold showers and, and, um, you know, the importance about that is, you know, and Wim does a great job of just making it very fun and he shows you the results, you know, and, and, and also I will say this, Wim Hof, when he was younger, cause he's been, he's been this way a long time and there's footage from where he's from where he's being filmed and followed, but it was more like a TMZ kind of thing. They were making fun of him. Oh, wow. It was like a, it, it wasn't, it wasn't to highlight him. It was sort of, look at this crazy guy that we found. And they, they weren't saying it like that. But the tone, you know, they were like, well, why are you doing that? You know, why are you climbing trees? You have kids, you know, like, isn't that dangerous? Like, you know, so they were kind of being condescending to this man. And he's all he was doing was showing, you know, people like, hey, you jump in ice water, you swim in there, you feel great. I feel great. You know, he had lost his wife. He had four kids and he had to take care of them. And he said he needed all the vitality he can get. So that's why he did the things that he did. And now you look at him now and everybody's trying to breathe like him. You know, sometimes some ideas are ahead of their time. But here is someone who whose zest for life is in direct proportion to his ability to to weather the elements to be able to withstand the cold, to be able to withstand the heat. And, and he seems alive and that is the life because life is movement, life is motion. When movement ceases, that is when we begin to die. And that is when we die, it is the rigor mortis, the arthritis. And um, we don't move enough. We live in chairs and the body gets really good at what it does habitually. So the whole 21 days to, to establish a habit isn't just a cognitive thing. It, it takes 21 days for new movement patterns to set in. It's like when you go to exercise and you're doing whatever you're doing, those movements, it takes a while for your body to go, oh, okay, you're doing this because I thought we were doing this thing. I thought we were doing this sitting on the chair, the Netflix and chilling. We're not doing that anymore. Okay, fine, fine. We'll do something else. And all of that, because when you listen to Wim talk, right, the zest and the gusto, that's an embodied man. That has that has everything to do with how he uses his 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 vessel, and that comes out in how he communicates. Um, and that's with anyone. And so the cold, you know, the the movement, these things have the cumulative effect on how we communicate. When you feel, when someone feels in their body that they can move gracefully, they will speak so. When someone feels rigid, they will speak so. When someone feels tight, they will speak so. When someone feels loose, I mean, you know, I, you, you, yin and yang, it is not a mental thing. It is a physical thing, you know, soft and hard, all of that. And so when when we, there are, you know, nuances in the system. But the thing that is most reusable is something that um <clears throat> your dog does or your cat does every day, and that's pandiculate. Um, pandiculation is a fancy way of saying yawn stretching. But whenever you see a cat or a dog get up, even if they sat down for five minutes, they're ready to go. 
um, you know, pew. And that is because they pandiculate all day. They don't, they don't allow their, they don't get themselves locked into the sleepy pattern. You think they're lazy. They're, they're not, you know, because what they're doing is when they're doing that compression, they're stretching their muscles and compressing them rather. And then that allows them to move because it is about your mobility. Um, when, you know, and your ability to move and your potential to move that gives you a sense of confidence in life. And so that's one of the things that, you know, nature just kind of gave us for free, you know, it's like, just do what the animals do. They don't get stuck. They don't get, they don't sit um, the way we sit. They sit and it seems like they sit much longer than we do, but whenever they get ready to move, they have a different pattern. And so that, that is a way of establishing a certain calm throughout the nervous system because everything else that happens you know, with what you do with your instrument, there's what you do with it, like a guitar. There's playing the guitar and then there's tuning it. So first we have to tune the guitar. And when you tune it, you got to twist things and stretch and maybe compress things to get that string to play the right note. And it's the same thing with us. So first we tune the body and then we get into the mechanics of if you do this, you'll sound like that. If you move this way or if you gesture that way, that changes how things sound. But first, we have to be in tune. And again, it isn't like, you know, you know, um, we think, okay, I take my psychedelics or do whatever I'm going to do. And people, when they have those kinds of experiences, the what they share about them is, um, pardon, what they share about them are these things where they're like enlightened and, and, you know, they feel something different in their bodies or whatever have you. Um. But it is about how they feel that they can move through the world. And no matter what it is that you're doing, right? If you're trying to achieve enlightenment or whatever you think it is, you know, they say when you're in light, before you're enlightenment, you chop food, chop wood, chop wood, get water. After enlightenment, chop food, get water. The idea is to keep moving. And it sounds so reductionist after all this time. It sounds like, well, really? Well, yeah. I mean, we can, I can, we can, we can learn different movement patterns and movement styles, just like dance. There's ballet, there's modern, there's hip hop, there's, you know, tap. It's all dancing, but it's all different patterns of movement. But first, that body has to be okay with that movement. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, <laughs> this is, this is really powerful information. I think that it's, Things that we don't, for whatever reason, maybe it's society or just, you know, our upbringing or just how the world works on us is I, I feel like we don't instinctually think of these things. But then when we take a step back and really analyze the things that you're talking about, or really just rather simply feel and be embodied to use, you know, what you were, you were talking about, it's it's amazing how it's like a 180 from kind of being in this sort of humdrum, almost mechanical way of life, or just always, like you were saying, living in our chairs. It's amazing how just that movement and that embodiment can have such a powerful impact on the way that we feel, the way that we think, and then to go off what you do, the way that we speak as well. It's, it's incredible. Mm to kind of take that that powerful feeling and, and really those thoughts and talking about 
to go off of body tone and, and really creating this, this voice as well, improving our vocal technique, it really allows us to be more embodied. And I'm wondering how can we use that embodiment and use our, our mind and body and, and, and really our voice to connect with one another on a deeper way. So that's, um, you know, there's a many, there's like a, you know, how many ways to skin a cat, right? Um, how many ways, you know, one of the things that when we think about connection, in order to really connect with another human being, there's a, there's a, a quietude that's required. Hey, hear me out. If I were to plug a USB cable into my computer, if it was if the USB cable was volatile, right, just moving around, shaking around, just refuse to go inside the slot, it doesn't connect. And then my computer doesn't get its power or the device doesn't get to, you know, connect and you know, they don't have that mutual relationship. There was a study where they they uh it was it was discovered that putting people on an imbalanced surface made them feel like their relationships were shaky. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like if you stand on a bolster ball and someone asks you like, so how do you feel about your relationship? Oh, we're shaky. And all of the things that like meditation, if you will, or whatever have you, like when, you know, when you give these names, it really, we got to stop thinking in nouns as far as the mind is concerned, because the life happens, the tipping point happens when things become verbs. I'll give you an example. Google used to be a noun. Google used to be a search engine. Now we Google things. It's a verb. YouTube used to be a video hosting uh, platform. Now we YouTube them. We YouTube it. Instagram used to be a picture and video hosting micro platform. Now we Instagram it. You know, do you, you know, do you, you follow where I'm going with this? It's yeah, yeah. when something's a noun, nouns are dead things. And that sucks to say it like that, but it's like, you know, you say, oh, that's a lion. Once it's once I call it a lion, it's no longer it no longer matters to me. I've named it, whatever. But if that lion starts lioning towards me, now we have something to talk about. If it starts, if it starts verbing versus nouning, and um, so meditation as a noun, who's going to do that? Who wants to do that? Who wants to freaking be in meditation? So it sounds like, oh, bored. I'm just stuck here sitting in meditation. But when you meditate, when you think in verbs, because there's no such thing as nonverbals. Verbal means of verbs. That's what it means etymologically speaking. So nonverbals is actually like a, what is it? Was a, a, a misnomer, if you will. Because a nonverbal is to say that it's not of verbs, but if you're moving, you're moving, which is of verbs. Um, so when it comes down to connecting, to connect with another person, genuinely, 
require the same things that everything requires to connect and that stability and quiet. If I want to plant a tree, I need to create soil that is stable for that tree to burst through. If I want to cook a meal, I have to create an environment that's stable. Even though there's gonna be chaos in that pot, it's gonna be bubbling and sizzling and all that good stuff. And that's where all of the passion and all of that, all of those great things that we look for, you know, when, um, you know, on different levels of intimacy in our relationships, but there has to be a stable environment for that to take place, right? And um, there has to be a quiet and that stability is not non-moving because quantum physics will show you or or at uh, um, or physics itself will show you that even atoms that are like a solid, like rock, if you look at it close enough, there's molecules that are moving or atoms moving. So there's always motion, even in the perception or perceived idea of solidity. And that um, it's just a matter of quieting it down, keeping it calm. Otherwise you don't, otherwise you just, you just run into people. And so when we talk face to face, when we, um, you know, when people, when people have a movement practice, it doesn't even matter because even the jocks have a certain quiet to them, even though they're yelling, oh, rah, rah, but there's a quiet because they know that they can lift that barbell off the ground, right? When they walk in, there's a presence, you know, someone who does yoga, you know, and, and you know, they, there's a quiet why? Because they know that they can move their body. There's a, there's a, there is a calm that comes when you know that you can move. The anxiety is when you feel that you can't. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the paradox. Anxiety is feeling like you will eventually not be able to move. A mouse that is moving through your apartment in New York City is only anxious if it's on a trap when it's stuck and it knows that it's about to die. That's the anxiety, that's the feeling. But as long as it feels like it can move, it might, it might have a natural fear of a predator, but it doesn't have, it's just like, okay, I gotta go from point A to point B. I gotta be quick, I gotta be fast, I gotta be sneaky. Whatever I gotta do to get to where I gotta go. But it's when we feel like we cannot move. And so a lot of us today, when we sit still, we kind of create that in our bodies. We're like, Forward head posture is not new. People think forward head posture is like, a, oh, it's the, it's the cell phones and the um, and my computer. No, it's what happens when you sit. Like pharaohs used to have forward head posture. You know what that means? That means that pharaoh, right, sitting on pharaoh's butt all day, being pharaoh, and everybody else did all the work because all the workers had great posture. I mean, if you got a job, your posture was great. But if you were the pharaoh, your 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 physicality just fell apart, and why do I, and 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 pharaohs also had heart disease and all that stuff, so it was a lonely thing. There's a book called Love and Survival, and it talks about how um, we need each other to be alive. That the body will keep you alive, even if you're eating trash. There are like 95 year old people who drink alcohol all their lives. But because they have strong social bonds, they stay alive. And what is it about? What is it about that? So again, the connection and connectivity and the quiet. We live in a loud world. Um, we're always plugged in. We're always turned on. And all of these things have an effect on us. 
we ingest information at a rate unprecedented. You know, like, do I want to, I want to know something I can go grab it. I want to find something I want to go grab it. All of these things are movement habits. You know, I'm, I'm just got to search. I got to find, I got to go. I got to ding. I don't know. I don't know enough yet. There's nothing that makes you feel like you don't know enough yet. Like Google, I'll tell you that. Cause I feel like I'm like, man, I can, I can learn more and it's great to do it. I like it. I, I like it. But I also know that I have to step back from the thing and slow down. Because everything that I'm searching for, I'm moving with. You know, when people go, you know, you ever have you ever gone on one of those nature trips, Patrick, where you're like, you know, you went out, you went on for a hike, and you're like, man, I haven't breathed like this in who knows how long. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially going out in nature with living in a, a big city like New York, it's like yeah. having that opportunity to go in nature and go for a hike and and move and and move in that nature it's really liberating in a lot of ways absolutely absolutely and um you know there are places where like i think in japan they the the doctor will prescribe a nature walk for you that's your prescription uh prescription go walk in nature oh i love i love that right and, and right and it and so all of this all of this feeling this, our relationship to the external environment and how loud we are is also reflecting of our relationship to our internal environment. And then that affects how we come across. And so one of the things that, you know, um, that really helps to upregulate, you know, and downregulate. So, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, pandiculation, which you know, it's, it's, it's the simple things that we take for granted. Um, because it's not that it's not that we, our instincts, things, things that we were told were rude. Remember somewhere, somebody said yawning was rude. Right. And then we all believed it. Hmm. It was like, Oh, don't yawn. It's rude. You're in class. You're yawning. That's rude. Actually, Mr. Applebaum, you want me to yawn. Because if I don't yawn, I'm going to fall asleep. Uh, and yawning actually gets the nervous system juiced up so that if something, if I have to be awake and alert, I can be awake and alert. So then we sit in school for years thinking that the one thing that would actually keep us going is rude. Oh, that's rude. It's rude to point. What? You know that pointing is the 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 ability to point is the precursor of language. It is literally one of the first the idea that you can go and and point at a thing to 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 indicate that you wish to reach it. But that's rude. I mean, it does kind of suck when you point, you know, at somebody. But what happens when you take that as gospel and you're like, oh man? But then you stop pointing. You stop pointing at the things that you wish to achieve or wish to reach for because you think pointing is rude. No, it's not. Maybe it's not pointing at people. Maybe we got to We didn't contextualize. But you still have to point. We, we spend our lives trying to make a point. Or trying to figure out what is the point? That's a question. What is the point we ask? And because pointing is rude, you never know because you don't point. But purpose, all of that, that's all about pointing. It's a proposal this way. 
come this way. If we go this way, this is what this is what's this is what's on the other side. Come with me. When you look at a conductor, you know, with the with the stick, right? It's an extension of the index finger, the point. It is that it is it is it is it is you know, Bruce Lee talking about like the finger pointing to the moon. If you keep the eye on the finger, you miss the, the heavenly glory. But the point is that he's pointing at the moon to see the heavenly glory. And, and for all of the techniques and all the other good stuff, there are, there are, you know, in our system, we have eight concepts and within those concepts is a multitude of things that you can possibly do. But on a very basic level here, like on a, on the, on the, you know, the, the things that we've been taught that freeze the body are the exact things that free the body. So yawn and point. Point, yawn, yawn and point. I love that. It goes back to the embodiment that you were talking about because I, I think there's these tendencies that that allow us to express this embodiment and through the through the years they've just been repressed and we haven't been able to really fully embody these gestures rather that that can connect us and bring us together and i i love what you were saying before about you know how we need this stability and quiet amongst one another in order to connect on a deeper level and i know you, you were talking briefly about this as well and I, kn I know you're very intentional with how you use technology and email and uh, social media as well would you say that that you're very intentional with how you use technology because you are striving for a, a deeper level of embodiment, a, a deeper level of that stability and quiet in your life so that you could more fully be present and relate with other people. Absolutely. I, uh, and also I know myself, I know that I am not above the biology there, you know, there's a gentleman now, um, I forget his name, but he basically said, look, we figured out how to hack the human biological processes, how to hack, how to hack what you need. And he's like, he, he said, he left these, you know, the big company, I think he left Google and he's like, you know, um, going around and letting people know like, Hey, um, you know, we, we did a good job. We know how to get you hooked. We know what to make you do to make you stay here, you know, and, and, and I, and I'm not, I'm not upset about that. That doesn't bother me. You know, that anybody that's in business, any entrepreneur that's in business wants to be able to know that they can get people to buy what they got. Like there's, there's no one that goes, Oh, we have a problem. What? Oh, we, we figured out how to get too many people to buy our stuff. You know, like <laughs> that's never, Oh no, you know, right. like, ah, the that's, that's, I'm okay with that. I am okay with that. And I'm also okay with the self-awareness of knowing like, okay, well, if I'm going to dip in this pond, I know what this is and I know when I need to step away because I know that I am not above the biology. 
I am not. We think we are. And I think that people believe like, well, if I meditate more, I'll be above. No, every day you will interface with something that is getting better. I mean, the internet is better than it was when it started. I mean, do you remember America Online? You can make a sandwich. Oh, that's you classic. I mean? Classic. And all that time, you can go and make a meal and come back and still not be online. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we are, it's better. I just know myself. And so, um, you know, if I want to, you know, feel that, you know, I'm, I'm genuinely connecting in one way or another. You know, it's, it's, it's just, this has become a natural thing, you know? Um, uh, and I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I think it might've started with not watching as much television when I was growing up, I didn't watch much TV. Um, and so I like watching TV and I know, I know myself because when I'm watching TV, I'm just like everybody else. You ever watch someone watch TV? It's the funniest thing in the world. It's like, you see the blue screen in the face, you know, their eyes are just fixed. And they're just, you know, zombified. And I know that I'm another, I'm another zombie. I turn on the TV, I'm watching, I'm hooked, I'm in there. Um, Socrates says, know thyself. And he's not wrong. He's like, know everything else, sure. But if you know yourself, then you keep yourself out of trouble. Like, I know me. I know me. And um, so is it about um, the lack of connection or, or, or whatever? and wanting to connect. Uh, I think at first I thought I was on like my soapbox about it. I am, we are not connecting touch screen. Ah, but now it's more like, um, you know, that it, it is the way that people connect now. There, there's a lot of, um, it's like a swim. It's like the ocean. Now the internet is, it's like, it's an ocean of information is an ocean of ideas is an ocean and you can either drown, you can float, you can sink, you know, you can swim, you know, it's not going anywhere. And, um, and so I just, you know, I skinny dip every now and again, and then, uh, come <laughs> out, you know, it's like, I put yeah. on my bathing suit and go, go surfing. You know, um, we use these terms very interestingly and interchangeably. And uh, yeah, so we need, we got to go outside because the symbolic outside is, is, um, is only going to work, but for so much. Um, and, uh, you know, breathing good air and also moving, moving. We have to, because none of these, none of these tools not even a hammer, like, let's just say, cause we, we, we can't get so hard on the, on the tool. This happens to be a, this happens to be like the Swiss army knife of tools, a, a cell phone. I mean, there's so much stuff you can do with your phone, right? But it's no different than the hammer. And there's a saying that says to the unskilled, um, to the skilled, every toy is a tool and to the unskilled, every tool is a toy. And that hmm. quote, hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, huh? If I spend time, you know, somebody was like, ah, oh, those hammers making people stand there and bang on nails all day. 
all he does, all she does is hammer, hammer, hammer. Doesn't do anything else. Doesn't talk to anybody. Doesn't have any friends. It's just him, her, or them and their hammers. Imagine how many things would not have been built if someone took that tack, right? Now, there might have been people that lived in the world. and That's all they did was pick up the hammer and bang away at the wall. And that's all they cared about. Maybe. Or people that picked up hammers and decided to throw them in the air or throw them at people or throw them, you know, whatever it is. And then there are people who took hammers and built amazing things. Just like there are people that make, you know, the most ridiculous things that, that hit the app store. Like, really? This this got through? Apple? You, you, um, <laughs> you know? And yeah. then there's, you know, whatever, whatever else. You know, whatever like finance tools or whatever art creative tools or whatever, you know, self-improvement or calm or any of those things that help people to get to where they're going. And so, you know, taking a step back and looking at it and recognizing this, as long as we know who we are with these things and we have the opportunity to take the time to, to feel for that intentionally, that's important. And that's in and, and, and that's the meditation, that's the focus, that's the that that is the way that, you know, to meditate being aware. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Marshall. This is this gives us a lot to to chew on as as we end the episode today. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and just sharing your insight into not not only in how to create a a more powerful and, and meaningful voice through using your mind and body, but then also how to use those tools to connect better with people on a on a deeper level. And so, I really appreciate you joining us on the show, and also just really appreciate the work that you're doing as well. B before heading out, I'm wondering if you could just share with our listeners where they could find out more information about you and the great work that you're doing. Uh, well, you can go to mindbodyspeak.com. Perfect. Perfect. I'll make sure to include that link in the show notes. And Marshall, I have one last question for you before we head off. Mm -hmm. How can we as a society better relate to one another? As much as I know that I personally have to say, One of the things that I believe is that we have to find the fastest way to silence. What is the fastest way to being able to exist without words? And I don't mean without words, like words need to no longer exist or anything like that. But what is the fastest way to quiet, to be with and just be the world outside of my window is more audible now because we're no longer making so much noise once this all lifts sure we're going to go back to driving and maybe the smog will return to LA and all of that and the animals will go back into hiding but I hope that more of us learned that it is the quiet that emerges and it's from the silence that life comes. And with that, there'll be more signal and less noise.
Wow. Thank you so much, Marshall. This, this is uh, a, a good, a good spot, spot to leave things off at. So thank you so much again for joining us on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.